Well, that's the thing too, is that the the people that are local or the the frequent hikers, like nine times out of ten, when there's a big storm, like the next day or that day, you've got a lot. The locals are going out and breaking. Like the chance of you having to break trail on like Crawford Path is almost slim to none. Like there's always mm-hmm. locals out there breaking out those those trails. So it's the it's the trails like Israel Ridge that like no one goes up that you can have a fun time on, but you just need to be prepared and. Um, you know, I like the rotation process, but if you can find a Steve Mason or like, I know if I went with my wife, I'd have to break trail the whole way. So, <laughs> or if you went, went with me, <laughs> if I went with, oh, matter of fact, that's true. Stop. I had to do that. Remember? Yeah, when man. You did Mark Parker. You made me break trail. The whole way. <laughs> Dude, that was like the worst. I was just gassed out from the get go. Like literally. Well, was that the was the worst. So, Steve, we I took him out Mount Parker, and we had no view, and I was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. But it was a fun day, but um, Stomp was a trooper. But I think that was when his hip was really starting to throw on him, and yeah. he was just too proud to admit that he was just getting old and needed a hip replacement. <laughs> God, that was Hey, got to have a bad day sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this dude broke it straight to the summit and then straight back. And if anybody's done that trail, it drops oh, down yeah. to a call. And then you have to go up another couple hundred feet. So that's when Mike was like, ooh, starting to fade out a little bit. That was a hard day. It was snowing and wow. Yeah, there was nobody. That's another good hike. If you want to go and break trail and not see anybody, Mount Parker. No one's going up mm-hmm. to the winter. No kidding. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Yep, we're rolling. All right. Okay, so rough week, Stomp. What's what's going on now? <laughs> I got the Rona. Oh, COVID. The Tenderona? That's, yeah, that's a bummer. I, I, I was so funny. I was looking back at our like. I feel like we we did a like a COVID <laughs> retrospective like ten, like twenty five episodes ago. We declared COVID over. <laughs> yes, dumb idea was that. Yeah, that's true. That's really funny. <laughs> so uh, you're still with us. You survived it. How was it? Let's I, let's hear all the, the gory details. I mean, my wife says I am famous for being the man cold prototype. You know what I mean? Oh, you were just miserable, laying in bed. Yeah, like, like you know, I'm the first, per- I'm the only person that's ever been sick in the world. Right, right. But but it was hard. I, I uh, oh. like I'm still coughing a little bit. But um, I had like a fever and I was knocked out for Tuesday and Wednesday. I couldn't even work. I just slept in the basement. But we just. She locked me in the basement down here so I didn't poison anybody else. But hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. I would avoid it if I could, if you could. Yeah. Well, well I'm glad it was uh, a mild case. And uh, c'est la vie. Yeah. Moving have on. Have you guys, Steve, have you gotten COVID yet or have you been able to avoid it? No, a couple close calls here, but so far so good. Just keep it away. And you, you even got it? No. No, if I haven't by now, I like won't. You, I, I'm pretty convinced I got it way back in February of 20 because in my line of work and who I'm exposed to, it's like, come on, really? I mean, I'm, or yeah. I don't know. I can't explain it, but anyway. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, avoid COVID audience if you're listening and you can do it. It's not fun. I It is like ultimately like it was like three days worth of like the flu. So I had like temperature, aches, fatigue, and I was kind of down and out from like Tuesday until like Friday morning. But even like over the weekend, it was, I was just kind of <laughs> tired. Like I wanted to go hiking, whatever, but I, I had to stay home. Oh, dude, and I was stressing it too because you're MIA and I have to edit the last episode and I ask you to upload the file two days later it's still not uploaded so I ask you one more time and then all of a sudden you upload some random file that had nothing to do with what I was looking for (laughs) you definitely had Rona brain (laughs) well I thought you meant upload like that um I thought you meant upload that like 30 second clip onto Facebook so yeah I was a little bit of a brain fog (laughs) hopefully hopefully that won't be it but um I'm just looking here at the notes here you have some you have some show, you have like a note here, Stomp, that says show opener 1983 Waterville Skyline Loop. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is that? Yeah, well, we, we touched upon that in the past. Um, the Skyline Loop is in Waterville Valley. The Waterville Recreational uh, Organization down there finally finalized it. And basically, it's um, 15 trails, nine peaks, five 4,000 footers. I don't know what the 1983 is, by the way. I have no idea what that is. I didn't write that. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? But um, check this out. It's 35 mile, no, 34 miles, 10,150 feet elevation gain, and five 4,000 footers. I mean, it's pretty intense. So I know we mentioned it earlier. Oh, I see. Now, are they... Um, I'm trying to look here. So I'll link this in the show notes but is there any any there's no shelters or camping on this loop i mean you can obviously you can stealth or whatever but um there's no shelters in this loop that's a good question i mean the way it sort of interlaces waterville i guess you could dump into town occasionally just well Looking at it now on this map, I mean, you you head up Tecumseh, say you're going clockwise, you head up Tecumseh, Mm -hmm. and then up the Osceola's, down East Osceola, and then you come back Greeley Ponds Trail. So you do dump in the towns before you go into the next loop, which is Scour and the Mm Tri-Pyramids. So if you had to, you you could. But, um, I mean, I think in the directions here, they're encouraging you to do it over a few days instead of one, but I'm sure there are plenty of listeners out there that are going to try to tackle this. Um. I don't know. It looks fun. You know, it looks like an awesome loop, and I hadn't. Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard people doing like super loops like this, but I hadn't really super considered loops. like. Uh, and how many miles is it total? Thirty four. Thirty four miles, ten thousand feet of elevation gain. So you could do that in like a two day hike. So yeah. I'll link this in the show notes. This is cool. Yeah, really neat stuff. I think Waterville is trying to get into the whole hiking community there. I, I've heard over the years that they've been just struggling to stay afloat and everything else, and uh, this might be their way to up the ante for some of their income, I suppose. You know what they should do if they want to make some additional revenue is like Livermore, mm-hmm. and then also, um, yeah, like Livermore would be perfect to have like a golf cart girl. To sell like beer and snacks. Well, I was and just going to say, the, yeah, the like a reckless cart, <laughs> the, the yeah, drive up reckless car. mobile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll park the food truck down there every once in a while. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> Livermore, that that place is always busy in the summer. So that's what I would do. Yeah. So have uh, have Carolyn's hands warmed up yet from the Moose Lock hike? 
They have, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think we're all good. I did tell her about the uh, the windmill thing, and she was like, "Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense." But yeah, know, we, we'll have to test it. She's she's pretty tied up with school at this point, so I don't know if we'll get back out. But yeah. You know, she's, she's doing good, and I think she's still pretty proud of herself for doing her first big winter hike. Yeah. It, Andy um, Cannon from Reckless and I got in a brief discussion about um, some studies. He sent studies to me sort of proving that um, cold finger effect, if you're grabbing a, an object in cold weather, you, that's going to lead to, um, you know, really cold burning fingertips pretty quickly. They were using thermal imagers, and people were holding cold objects, and what they found was it increased the cooling of the hands. At the same time, it was found that cooling begins with the tips of the longest fingers and starts very quickly, namely from the first minute after holding a cold object in your hand. Pretty fascinating. That reminds me of the screaming barfies. Do you remember that, Steve? The screaming barfies, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like someone, um, someone on the team talks about that, yeah, it or the screaming ouchies or something like that. Yeah, it's that phenomena where you're you're a climber, so either in the winter you're holding onto an ice axe or a pick or a hiking pole. That that's the reason I brought this up because it mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. So you're squeezing this object, and then when you let go, that blood rushes back into your fingertips, and you get the burning screaming barfies which is just burning in pain for two to five minutes and i guess studies show that four percent of people barf (laughs) when they get this wow (laughs) yeah it's no joke but um there's some interesting solutions out there there are heated gauntlet gloves um heated pole handles that's actually a patent i don't i've not seen them yet but i guess that's something that's in the works that's wild yeah it's actually a good idea put some batteries in the um the the top of the Hiking poles and turn on the heat. Yeah. 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 It's a patent. <laughs> yeah. We can link to it. It's pretty Ooh. interesting. All right. And then you got one more note. So Stomp's been in the script today. Usually I do the script, but you've been like, what? Oh, so Screaming Barfish, you already covered that. Then. Yeah. All right. I got it covered, kid. So, very good. All right. So next here is sponsors and coffee talk here. So, yeah. What do hey, you got? a quick shout out first to Rebecca Sockton Sperry for, um, a disease-free report. I read that today. Congratulations, Rebecca. That's been a long, long challenge for you, and uh, we wish you the best. Really? Did you see that? Yeah, that was posted earlier today, so it's pretty epic. I'm going on right now. I'm going to give her a little heart. Yeah, she's uh, she's a fighter. She's got the spirit uh, of a fighter, so keep up the good, good fight there, Rebecca. So for donations, let's see. We have um, just Benny's or Jess Benz, maybe, I don't know what it, how it's pronounced, but they donated five. Jennifer Lee donated five. And this is a funny story. She sent a, uh, a message to us saying, whenever I donate, it always comes up as, quote, unquote, someone. So I, I called her out and just actually used her name for that donation. So I'm not, I don't know why um, coffee does that, but it does. Because we just got a donation today from someone. It just prompted me to mention that. So if you show up as someone, you might want to put your name in the in the little post (laughs) i think that's probably the best solution and um another comment we do check our emails so i I, i'm not sure somebody apparently sent an email and we missed it or it just never came through so we do check the emails um and then of course a quick shout out to reckless and um you know i'm going to save this the shout out because we have steve here in person and he's going to shout out himself (laughs) for quite a bit about the latest goings on at reckless so (laughs) Uh, we hope uh, that the sponsorship and 
uh, everything's been working good. I think some people have been coming in to see you guys and making a point of saying, hey, we heard about you on the podcast. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've been hearing stuff like that. It's that's awesome. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, back yeah. scratching, you know. Perfect partnership. Yeah, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I have a plug. I <laughs> I always, I've had this written down in my notebook for like months and I haven't done it, but and again, I don't, I don't know if this makes a difference, Stomp, or not, but I, I hear a bunch of other podcast people do it, and they say it makes a difference. So difference we have like a what? bunch of reviews on <laughs> um, on Apple, I think, like, I don't know, not really reviews. We had a couple of reviews, but we have a bunch of people that have given us like five stars or whatever. You can give us, if you don't want to give us five, that's fine. Actually, probably, if you're not going <laughs> to give us five, don't bother. But um, if you want to like write a review or something, um, that would be... That'd be nice. We've never asked people to do that, but like write a write a review and give us five stars. Does that help us, or does it sh- make us show up in listings or something, or what? Well, we can charge Reckless more for sponsors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Got I don't it. know if it, I don't. I don't know if it, I think it helps you like come up on search more more frequently or something. I huh. don't know. Well, that's cool. So who knew? Write us a review. If you have anything mm. bad to say. Um, Send send us email. We'll, we won't check it. <laughs> but if you have a positive thing to do, do a do a review. Nice. Yeah, that's a good plan. Yes, exactly. Any uh, anything before I go with the sh- do the show summary? No, let's do it. Okay, so uh, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Uh, tonight we're joined by our friend Stephen from Reckless Brewing, who is going to talk beer. And he's going to help us clear out the topics folder by catching us up on a few winter hiking topics that we have not covered yet. Uh, this includes a snowshoe lesson, an explanation about butt sledding, and then we're going to do a deep dive on the Flume Gorge. And then I added on a uh, discussion about Mount Wa- hiking Mount Washington in the winter. So I have a couple of thoughts on the on the routes there. Um, and then later in the show, we might do some White Mountain history. There's not a lot of search and rescue news, but you know we'll we'll grab some if we if we have time. So I'm Mike, and I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, all right. So normally we go right into beer talk, but before we do that, because I think it's going to take a while with uh, with Steve and updating on Reckless. Have you guys heard about this guy Scott Benaroff? He's doing a southbound on the AT. You you been watching this guy at all, Steve? I haven't heard of this guy now. I, I just saw a post yeah. today. That's pretty epic. You, you saw it today? I, yeah, I just, just heard about it today. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm always skeptical about these things because it's like you know, the guy's southbound. And when I first saw it, he was in uh, Andover, Maine, which is still pretty far up there. Uh, but I looked and I looked at the date and that was like early January or something like that. And um, he's made it into the whites at this point. And I haven't looked at the videos yet, but he's made it through. He's got three three videos going through the Mahoosics. Um, Cold weather. Going from Andover through the Mahoosics and out to Route 2. So that's the tough part. That yeah. is where... Um, Lucking out with the snow. That's where Arlette and Rich ran into trouble. I think I don't think they can make it through that section last year. Yeah, that's that's intense. Is um, how's he doing it? Is does he have active support meeting him as he goes, or is he doing the whole cash mailing system? I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. We'll have to get him on. Um, yeah, we'll see. I think he's going through the whites right now. But this is a year where it, it's it could work because I don't think the snow cover is that significant up in Maine. Right. Like when when Arlette and Rich were trying, I think it was last year, they got bombed with snow so bad, like they couldn't. They had to bypass the 
um, the whole like Grafton Notch area. They had to go down. They basically sidestepped it and went down Success Pond Road because they couldn't get through. Gotcha. But this guy was able to make it through, which is interesting. So he might make it. Yeah, best of luck. What's his name again? Yeah. Scott? His name is Scott Benaroff. And I don't know anything about this guy. I just saw it today, and I thought that was interesting because if he can do a self-bound AT in the winter like that, then yeah, that's that's pretty badass. Oh, yeah, no kidding. That, that's super badass, yeah. Although part of it is just like you're at the mercy of the weather. Like if you got bombed with snow in December – in January, like, there's no way you're going to make it through Maine. I don't care how strong you are, but this guy, I think, timed it in a good year because it just, I don't know, you guys are up closer than I am, but it did, Musilaki didn't have, like, much snow cover at all. It was, like, maybe four or five inches, and that was it. Yeah, this past storm, this past weekend, a couple of days ago, was really the first big storm we got, and it didn't amount to too much. So, yeah, like you said, he's got a pretty lucky, pretty lucky winter so far. I would not yeah, want so to have been thing. out in that wind over the last... 48 hours holy moly we had a ton of blowdowns up here yeah cold weather's been insane Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean you gotta have like i don't know what it is about the personality types of the people that do this stuff like arlette is out on the she's doing the north country trail which is like 4200 miles and i know rich is out there with her right now and that's just insane i think there's only been like 15 people that have completed that trail the whole I think it goes from Vermont to Michigan or something. Mm-hmm. Wow. They're nuts, man. So, They're out there constantly. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. So now we're talking about beer here. Stop. <laughs> yes. So what is, are you drinking? I'm actually having a margarita. It's like the only thing in the house. It's leftovers from when my uh, folks were living with us this summer. <laughs> I was like, at first I was like, I don't think I'm going to have anything. But then I was like, mm, why not? What the hell? <laughs> so no beer for me. Yeah, I'm drinking. Um, have you guys heard of Stellwagen um, Beer Company? I have not. How about you? I don't think so. Yeah, In, it's called the India Pier. It's an IPA. Inclusion Records. It's called. So Stellwagen. I'm assuming it must be like the North Shore, Massachusetts, or something. But it's funky looking label. I love it. Or how do you how do you spell it? Stellwagon, S-T-E-L-L-W-A-G-O-N. Stellwagon Bank is like a, it's one of the, the large banks out in the North Atlantic outside of Gloucester. Ah, gotcha. Sounded sounded German you, to me. What are you drinking, Steve? Hopefully you're drinking a, a Reckless. <laughs> no, um, I'm taking a, a break from a Reckless beer tonight. I'm <laughs> drinking something from shame. the seacoast. It's called, it's called, yeah, you can play the shame music. Shame. It's called... Uh, Purple Dinosaur from Exeter Brewing Company. I've actually been trying to get my hands on this beer for a long time. They they'll drop it on like a Friday, and it'll be sold out by Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was lucky enough this past drop to to get some, and this is my last one. So I figured it's a good occasion while I'm sitting down catching up with you guys. <laughs> now, do you have to wait in line for this, or is it just like you, you time it? No, there were there were no lines. That this this brewing, uh, sorry, this brewery Exeter. They they don't have a tap room or anything so they just do distribution so they brew and bottle at their brewery and they send it out to stores and uh the stores sell out crazy fast really yeah oh dude by the way when we were on break i went down to um chase street market in plymouth like two or three times yeah. to grab your selection it's funny i went the first time i grabbed the mount eustace that was gone 
after the first time. I did get it the first time, but then that was gone. Like the next time I went down there, so I ended mm-hmm. up with like a. I think it was the IPA that I had a up uh, when my wife and I visited. But anyway, g- great selection. It's nice that they're uh, local, and it's available. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. 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 It sells. It sells out pretty fast, so we're able to keep it fresh. Mm. So. Um, what is the latest and greatest goings on at Reckless, Steve? Anything you want to plug that's going on over there? Yeah, we've definitely got some some cool stuff coming up. Um, the first one, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much, but a, a recent guest of yours might be coming up to Reckless to uh, to do some sort of collaboration. So stay tuned. I don't have too much info to give out in that regard, but just a little teaser. Awesome. Then the carry out stout that we brew um, and donate to Pemi whenever we brew it is finally going to get its own customized uh, label. Right now we just have like a handwritten label. That's more of a generic style, but we've got a local artist, Kirsten, who's uh, who drew up something really cool for us. I actually meant to send it to you guys. But I will in a little while here. I'll, I'll find that file and I'll send it to you guys so you can preview it. It's pretty cool. So that'll be coming out soon. That's going to be exciting. Uh, so you'll be uh, be able to recognize it from from afar in the store. You can say, hey, I know that label. I still have the, uh, the early proof of uh, you guys carrying that keg with the construction hats on. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was awesome, though. Yeah, we've come a, we've come a long way since then. <laughs> <laughs> this one's much more professionally done. Yeah, it's it's real cool. It's it's like a um it's like an old external frame backpack with some gear lashed to the outside and in the background you can see the like trail map of like the Pemi loop. Um it's really cool stuff. Kirsten's great. She does huh. um almost all of our can art unless it's going to be just something digital. Um and the last big exciting piece of news for Reckless is coming up at the end of February, the Mount Washington Backcountry Ski Festival is going on. And we're going to be the primary beer sponsor for that event. Wow. And we're going to be premiering a new a new IPA there. We're going to call it High George after after Mount Washington. Oh, I get it. Oh, nice. um, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll be able to come and, and do all the stuff that the, the Ski Fest has to offer and and drink some reckless beer while you're there. Who organizes that, the, the Backcountry Ski Festival? SkiMountWashington.com. I don't know the name of the organization beyond that okay yeah i'll check it out i'll I'll throw that in the show notes yeah definitely um but yeah we're very excited for that one what were the dates um it's going to be from the 24th to the 27th okay so it's four days and they do classes they'll take you out skiing i think they do some avalanche stuff um tickets are on sale awesome yeah i'll check that out i wish i had the time to do stuff like that. <laughs> I got to work, unfortunately. What about you, yeah, Stop? You got time to do that? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I think all my free time goes towards search and rescue. I'm, like I said, I, you know me. I'm just sitting here waiting. So I yeah, may have time exactly. occasionally, but it's usually on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, are you making a lot of beer, Steve? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're still brewing several days a week. Um, you know, naturally with the the um the seasons up here things things slow down before the the snow really kicks in but now we got plenty of snow people are coming up skiing snowboarding and drinking beer 
I've noticed this year, like the lines at Loon on on video have been insane. Like that eight person lift has done nothing to solve the the lines there. So even with no snow, yeah, I've heard a lot of people griping about about Loon and, and Atitash as, as well, and, and a lot of those places that there were there were only open so many lifts or so many trails because of the poor snow conditions. But hopefully that's all better now. Hmm. Supply chain issues. You guys feeling any of that? as it ripples across the country um some shipping uh is slow you know like we'll have to order order things a week or two sooner than we would normally but aside from that it really hasn't been too big of a deal yeah i've got my finger on the pulse of the supply chain (laughs) oh yeah i've asked about it for the last two or three episodes (laughs) (laughs) just keeping the listeners up to date (laughs) there you go stomp keep your fingers away from everything <laughs> Except this margarita. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anything else, Steve? Anything beer related you want to cover before we get into snowshoes? Uh, you know, I'm sure there's probably some things I'm missing, but as far as big reckless updates, those are that's what I got for you today. Okay. Have you been in any rescues with Stomp? How's he? Is he like um, staying behind and not actually doing the work, pretending he's <laughs> still injured, or is he is he pulling his weight now? Well, without spoiling too much, I think there's only been one rescue in January, and and I wasn't able to go to it, so I can't razz him about it. Yeah, I can't remember the last time we we worked together, Steve. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's it has. Well, anyway, say love. It'll be May and June soon enough. You guys will be out there every weekend. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for Slasher's weekly gear review? So we're going to do a little bit of an addendum on our winter hiking stuff. We're going to talk about snowshoes. We can get some questions about snowshoes. And we touched on this, I think, on episode one of the winter hike intro, but we want to do a more of a deeper dive on this. So now that the deep snows here or the deeper snow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I'm supposed to lead this discussion. So I think for reference, I think I kick it off, Stomp. What is your overall, I guess, philosophy around snowshoes in the winter and winter hiking? Granted, it may be a little bit different because you're sort of a search and rescue guy, but what, what are your sort of your, your philosophy around snowshoes? Well, I mean, for search and rescue, they're on, they're on the pack anyway. And that's for when we have to go off trail and in my own personal hiking endeavors, that's where I use them the most, um, off trail, bushwhacking, that type of thing. Um, I mean, it gets to the point when, you know, when there's enough snow that you really should have them just to avoid post-holing all the time and to avoid pissing off everybody in snowshoes. <laughs> the post-holers, the post-holers are an, a unique breed, those people that are adamantly against wearing snowshoes and i i will admit i used to be one but now i i understand them and appreciate them a little more yeah i mean i'm of the same mind i'm a little bit different because i think because i'm more of a weekend warrior and i'm down here in massachusetts and a lot of times in the winter i'm like coming up on the weekend so i i always my thought is that you always bring them you know unless you unless you've had like there's been an extended four or five day period where you know that there hasn't been any snow and you're going on a trail that's like going to be well-traveled. A lot of times, yeah, you can get away with not bringing your snowshoes and you got to make that call. Um, But 90% of the time, they're riding on my pack and I use them if I need to. I mean, if it's not, if I'm not sinking in snow, I'm going to put my my spikes on and and leave my snowshoes off because 
I don't like really walking with snowshoes. I feel like I'm a little bit bowed when I walk, and it gets, gets a little uncomfortable after like six or seven miles. But you get used to it. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'd say, yeah, just bring them from an etiquette perspective, like everyone's expecting you to have them. And you know, if you're sinking in the trail at all, you should be wearing snowshoes so that you keep the trail nice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with the bowing. It's like riding a horse. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it just causes your legs to spread out like just a little, like a couple of inches extra. And over time, it just sort of annoys. It gets annoying. It was like it hit me the first time I used them for an extended amount of time. I was like, oh, I'm walking a little bow-legged, which makes sense because you're forced to be, your legs are forced to be a little separated. Esteban, any comment? Uh, yeah, I really fall right in line with you guys. Nine times out of ten, they're on my bag. But... um you know, I'm a I'm a bigger hiker, so I I'll definitely bring them more often than not because uh, I have a tendency to post hole. But you know, if I'm going up like the Crawford Path after a busy Saturday, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll use my judgment and maybe I'll leave them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The other thing too, and again, this comes down to if you know that you haven't had any snow and you're coming on a weekend and it's been three, four days and you're going on a, a, a trail that is pretty well traveled, like the Crawford Path, like you can get away with, um, maybe you're with three people, right? One person brings their snowshoes, right? And just in case to clean up your mess coming <laughs> yeah. down the trail, you can kind of get away with that stuff um, occasionally. And we'll talk a little bit about mixing and matching things when later on in this segment but um overall the for when it comes to snowshoes if you've never done it before there's like three different types of general snowshoes i think there's these recreational snowshoes which are generally like you'll see them they have like the aluminum bars that wrap around the entire binding and then they typically have like a it's not even like a very uh, generic crampon. Like if you go into like Bartlett or you go into North Conway around that area and you want to like rent snowshoes, a lot of times like the rec- recreational snowshoes is what they'll give you. They're just flat. They're, they're not meant for climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's like running and racing snowshoes, which I don't know a lot about. Uh, Stomp did a little bit of research and showed like dying on snowshoes. And I know in North Conway, they have a pretty active like winter snowshoeing race series that they, at least they used to. I don't know if they do it anymore, but yeah. for the purposes of hiking and what we're talking about, nine times out of 10, you're going to be talking about trail snowshoes. Um, and Stomp, do you want to talk about like what the typical characteristics of trail snowshoes are? Well, that's a bit of a deep dive. Um just back to the the running and racing, I think the racing snowshoes are very similar uh, in many ways to trail uh, snowshoes. They're shorter length um, because you're dealing with more packed down snow versus deeper snow where you would need a longer snowshoe so that you don't sink in. So generally, between those two, the racing or the trails, you have uh, you know anywhere between 17 to upwards of 30 inches of uh, length. You have the crampons underneath that are going to grab the trail really well. And in some cases, some of the snowshoes have the side rails and things like that. Um, The construction's different. Um, You can get aluminum, like Mike mentioned. They're really tough, lightweight. Um, With nylon decking, I think nylon decking is actually fairly common for a lot of snowshoes over different brands. Uh, the wood, I have a pair of old wood ones. They're, they're like f- almost four feet tall. 
And I love them. They don't have any of these modern metal uh, crampons on the bottom or anything. They're meant for deep snow. Heavy as heck, and they sort of break. That's one problem with the, uh, the wood. Um, if you hit a rock just right, you're going to be stuck out there with a broken snowshoe. Um, you have plastic, which tend to be a little... I guess the, the weight's probably negligible between plastic and aluminum. Um, but with the plastic, they're strong. They're very strong. Some of these newer ones are pretty much all plastic. Like my MSRs are 100% plastic, and they can take a beating for sure. Um, I don't know what EVA foam snowshoes are. This is something I came across. I guess it's probably a beginner snowshoe for maybe backyard adventures or that type of thing. It's a beginner snowshoe for gentle trails, modest snow depths. Have you ever heard of EVA foam? I haven't. No, me neither. Yeah, that's new by me. So interesting. Yeah, and I have I have the plastic model. So I have um, MSR Evos, which are like the base model MSR. So really, when you talk about manufacturers for uh, trail snowshoes, generally you're going to have Tubbs, MSR, and then TSL is sort of the new player in the market. And then you have these Dion snowshoes here linked as well. Stomp the, I don't know anything about those, but most, I'd say like 95% of the people in, in that I've seen generally will use Tubbs or MSR. I don't know, Stephen, what do, you, what, do you, what do you use for snowshoes? Yeah, when I'm hiking, I use the MSRs as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for whatever reason... They're popular, and like I have the MSR Evos, which are the base model, so they're about the cheapest that you can get from MSR that will really work for you in the mountains, and I think they're around $139, um, and the really the one differentiator that you want to think about is when you do get snowshoes. Um, a lot of snowshoes offer a hail lift. So if you're going uphill, you can flip this hail lift, lift up and it'll give you like an extra, what, like 10 degrees or something like that so that you're not like flexing your um, your calf and your ankle to go uphill as much. Like it just basically allows you to be more level with the ground. So when you get into that, typically like I think the MSR Evo Ascents um, are the ones that have the heel lift and those end up costing around 209 or something like that so you're essentially paying like an extra 80 bucks for that little heel lift but when you're climbing valley way or lowe's path in the winter it's it's more than worth it mm -hmm. so do you hike without the heel lift then mike i yeah i never got uh, so my friend jonathan who got me into winter hiking had just i said you know i want to get in i don't want to spend a ton of money and i bought these msr evos probably like eight years ago and um I didn't know anything about heel lifts, and I remember going. Matter of fact, I was hiking Sump. It was when me, you, and Chaga uh, hiked Isolation. Is when I first saw those heel lifts. Yeah, and I saw somebody flip those on, and I was like, I need those. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait till my snowshoes break, and I'll get the new pair. But it's been eight years, and my snowshoes haven't broke breaking yet. Mm -hmm. Broken yet? Wow. Yeah, I mean, you don't get to use them too much. Mine maybe come out three or four times a season. I've got an old pair of um, Denali classics like these. It was actually hand-me-downs from an upcoming guest who's going to be talking about military search and rescue. It's going to be an awesome episode. Um, but these things are epic. They're like, I think they're probably 35 inches long, which I prefer. And just going back to how you size these things, if you're like under 50 pounds or 90, you probably want to be shooting for a shorter, like maybe 17-inch long snowshoe. 80 to 150 pounds, 22, 25 inches long. And up beyond that, you're, you know, if you're 200 and plus, you're probably looking at 
30 to 35 inches um, just to keep you floating. That's the whole purpose of the things. Really? Like, so if you're, so if you're over, so you have here, it's like 150 to 220, you're saying 25. I think mine are 22 inch, maybe the 25 inch. I can't remember what, what MSR Evos are. Mm-hmm. It's a ratio between the, the weight and, between the weight and the length. I mean, if you're if you're a, a 220 pound person and you're wearing a 17 inch snowshoe, you might as well just have crampons on. I mean, micro spikes on, for God's <laughs> sakes. So it's just a, a ratio. It. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. MSR has like for uh, 180 pounds for the uh, the Evo. So I'm I make it. Although I got to stop eating, or I might I might break through <laughs> that rating. <laughs> New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not that bad yet. So, now what? Is, what kind of uh, binding system? I have the old strap bindings. Yeah. Uh, again, mine are MSR, and I think, I think most of the newer models have a new binding. But for me, it's just a strap, and it's like um, you just sort of hook the rubber strap into a metal clip. Um, clip. And then I had to add an extra clip because the strap thing flaps around. So I have like an extra one mm-hmm. to hold my my um, straps so that they don't move because it's so annoying um, when they do. I have a tip for that. Make sure the the open side of the clip is facing forward because you're you're moving forward. So if any branches that come by, just going to push the strap into the clip. Because I had mine set up initially backwards, and they would they were popping out constantly. I'm like, hmm. Basic physics, like let me turn yeah. those around. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a pretty simple thing, and I also shortened mine, um, so that helped a bit. Um, how about yours, Steve? Yeah, my my snowshoes haven't been around as long as Mike's have, but I've got the same the same strap binding system, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use that tip of yours. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, I got uh, I I have mine right here. <laughs> so for the listeners enjoyment he's holding up a snowshoe in front of the the camera yeah i should have this so i have the two straps so this i got an extra clip where this one here comes out this way and then this one comes out the bottom so these things uh-huh. can't move at all so redundancy see? there see yeah that's that's redundancy because that's otherwise, like 5d chess the old way yeah the old way <laughs> I'm so proud of this. That's why I'm showing it to you guys. The old way is that this thing here Got flaps me. around when you're walking. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's wow, man. So I'm going to post this. I'm going to have to get three clips for my snowshoes. <laughs> Stomp. Don't try to outdo me. So I, I know my New Year's resolution was to like get off of social media, but the one thing that I do do every year, and I'm so proud, is I always post like, the that advice for um the four thousand forty group i'll be like hey just an fyi if you have these but now it like, doesn't work because all the new bindings are a different kind of binding so i can't look like a hero anymore <laughs> that's so great but i'll include a photo with this on the in the show notes yeah so like with the, the binding systems we all have the straps but there is the boa system my wife has upset um basically it's wrapped webbing that's adjusted by a simple dial um, you just dial it into your tension, which is really cool, and you can just push the center of the, the button and it releases, so it's much quicker and less time-consuming. And I've noticed um, what I've seen anecdotally is that people complain less about their feet getting numb. Um, and that does happen to me occasionally, which is a pain in the butt. But 
Um, yeah, so straps, boas, and then there's apparently a single pull binding, which is like a micro spike webbing, plastic webbing that you pull over your shoe and you just sit right into it. Um, I could see that being a problem with some more vigorous uh, adventures, but that's available. Yeah, I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, I've not seen that, but it's out there somewhere. And I think we touched upon this earlier. Traction systems, you have the side rails, which are great for steeper terrain. Generally, most of the snowshoes have the, the center crampon, which rests under your forefoot, and it's just a bunch of teeth in the size of a, a hand. And if you can picture a hand grabbing a baseball, that's what it looks like, more or less. Um, flotation tails are cool. My, my Denali's have flotation tails, so I can go from like 30 inches up to 36 or 37 inches or whatever it may be um, just by adding on this screw and tail. I think some other brands have that as well. So that can be handy so you can adjust on the fly if you're on a trail then all of a sudden you're bushwhacking you need that extra flotation. Those are really cool. Um, oh yeah, Mike, how do you mount yours? That's always a problem. They're, that's my biggest challenge even with my gigantic pack. That is so backpack specific. Yeah, um, I it's, guess you're right. It's tough to answer but I think most people should look at the way I do it is I would do like a progression is one if you have a like a pouch which I think the Ospreys have like and I've seen this like they have the like the pouch in the middle if you can put them together and then stick them in the pouch and they won't go anywhere like I think that's that's the most optimal way to do it is if you can do that that would be what I would go for if my pack allowed it I'd never had an Osprey, so I had a Duder um, Act Light, and for that, my best option was to mount the snowshoes on either side of my. So I have big, big, big pockets where I could put like water bottles or whatever. the The snowshoes will not fit in the in the pockets, but there's straps, compression straps on the lower part by the water bottle and then on the upper part. And I'm able to strap one snowshoe with the crampon up against the, not facing the outside, but um, up against the, um, the backpack. So it's on one on either side and I could cinch them down with the, um, with the compression straps and they wouldn't wouldn't move at all hmm. and then my third option is if you don't have a pocket in the back and you don't have the ability to use the comp compression straps to strap the snowshoes on one on each side then the third option is to strap them under your brain so if you have a, br a yeah. brain or you have a strap on the very top with a roll top strap them on the very top and i now use a i got a hyperlite which has like the three it has like that three-way um compression trap on the very top i just i just strap them across the very top so but the big thing you need to figure out is one um can you maneuver them quickly off of your pack two make sure that they don't damage anything on your pack and then three, make sure that there's an equal distribution of weight so that right, you're not going to... That's the one thing about the Ospreys that I would be a little bit weary about is like, are are you going to put so much weight far away from your back that you're going to feel like you're off kilter? So, but it's definitely like something you got to practice a lot. Yeah, my big pack has uh, those side pockets, which actually cup the, the tail of the snowshoes really well. So from there, what I'll do is just, um, you know, use... Um, strapping with uh the buckles you know that you can buy at lahoots or anywhere really lows or whatever so that works pretty well i'd not thought of the uh putting it under the brain but i'd be nervous about it getting on 
unbalanced um and that's always a and, and just a mild annoyance just having to stop and readjust all the time that's how i do mine i don't i don't have the brain i have the i have the straps on the roll top and so what i'll do is i'll to keep them from getting imbalances i'll put them i guess to describe it head to toe yeah so like the toe will curve one way on the right and then the other way on the left and i seem to stay pretty well in balance like that Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I've been playing with that with the Hyperlite backpack now because I used to just, I just slip one on either side and it was pretty easy. Um, but I find it's actually easier on those roll tops because they're right on top and I can just grab them both and mm-hmm. put them on. That's the other thing too is like going back to the situation I had with my daughter last weekend. So Stephen, I don't know if you heard the last episode, but I took yeah. my daughter hiking and the the issue we had was that her hands got cold because it took us so long to get her gear put together like snowshoes is another example of like if you're not comfortable with it you know you can end up taking 10 15 minutes fiddling around with your snowshoes and if you don't put your gear on you can get cold so you really want to practice putting your your snowshoes on whatever your your mounting system is on your backpack so that you're not wasting a lot of time fiddling yeah, around and, and learning how to do it on the trail I'm very jealous of all my friends who have that uh, the new binding system where they just like twist it with one hand. Yes. Yeah, and I think it was I think it was in one of your previous uh, beginning to winter hiking episodes, Mike, where you were talking about just pull your bag out and just grab your snowshoes and just try a few different ways to put them on. I think that was a really good piece of advice. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's and it's so backpack specific that you know you'll get used to it um, after a while and then. I guess stomp. What about like field fix, fixing shit in the field? Like, what do you what do you bring just in case your snowshoes crap the bed? To me, it goes back to those uh, thicker gauge tie wraps that we talk about all the time. Um, I they, they've saved me on multiple occasions, um, especially when using older snowshoes or the wooden ones. Um, I was remember that trip I did up to flat flat uh mountain pond there whatever it's called one of the big mm-hmm. ones it's sort of you come you come by waterville and you head up there my i was at the top i was at the summit and it was deep like waist deep snow and my wooden snowshoes broke and all of a sudden i'm just sinking on one side of my body and i'm like oh, oh my god what the hell am i gonna do it was like sub-zero weather and i, I got out just by sort of tie wrapping it and making it together so I mean, if you're in those situations with deep snow, you can't play around. You know, you just got to have something in there. So those are helpful. Um, I'm not sure what else. I mean, when it comes to like breaking the crampons or the the side rails, I mean, you're sort of up up the creek if those go. But you really want to make sure that before you go out, you check the the quality of your your bindings and the strapping just to make sure there's nothing that's going to give on you. I think that can really save a lot of headache. Yeah, yeah, and if you're in the market for like buying, the biggest thing that I get concerned about with these, um, especially like mine are eight years old, like the, this plastic stuff here, like I'm always nervous it's going to get brittle. Yeah, and I'm going to be, and also you put a lot of torque on these things to to sort of lock them down, and they do they're plastic straps and they stretch. And if you put a lot, it's the same thing with micro spikes. If you put a lot of pressure on them and you torque it too much, yeah. like you can easily rip these. They sell those replacements. You can get them yeah. at Lahoots or wherever. I always say that because yeah, it's like cool. the the go to up here in the North Country. But um, they're around. You can order them on Amazon. It's important. When I got these Den- yeah. Denali Classics, 
the straps were brittle and I had to replace them. They were useless. Cool. So I guess a couple of other things I added here on the notes here. So strategy when you're in a group. Mm-hmm. So um, I talked about this a little bit. When you So if you are going into a situation, so I've had a couple of scenarios where we did an overnight on Mount Kerrigan and there was like a foot of snow and there was five or six of us, I think. And we all basically knew that we were going to have to um, break trail. What's the name of that road? Sawyer Pond Road? Uh-huh. Sawyer, is that the road? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we we knew we were going to have to break trail on the road, and then we had to break trail up um, up to Signal Ridge. So it was brutal. But we all like all six of us brought our snowshoes, and you do when you when you have to do a trail break like that where it's a foot of snow. What you want to do is basically just um, you know you take the lead. One person is actually breaking trail, and then number two, three, and four are generally cleaning up the trail, and then number five and six are having sort of like they're, they're walking on broken trail by then. Um, so what you want to do is that front person goes for five, ten minutes, and then they step aside. And then number two becomes number one. It's the same strategy as you would use when you're riding Peloton on a bike, you know, where you have somebody leading and then everyone's drafting behind them. Same thing you do when you're breaking trail. It doesn't matter if there's six people or five people or one or two. What you want to do is just keep rotating that front person if you're you're truly breaking trail. Mm. Um, And then the other thing that I will call out is I've done this with when we did um, Israel Ridge. We had to break trail up Israel Ridge on another overnight um, in the winter, and it was like nobody goes up Israel Ridge. Uh, Jonathan, <laughs> I still know what the hell you were thinking dragging our asses up there, but we went up to um, Gray Knob via Israel Ridge. Nobody had been up there all winter, so we had to break trail, so I had my snowshoes. There are sections, and this this comes into play with like Lion's Head too on on Mount Washington. But sometimes you run into sections that are so deep that you actually need to break trail using crampons instead of snowshoes. So sometimes, depending on how steep it is, um, you will break trail using uh, cr- real crampons versus snowshoes because it gets so deep that what happens is you can't sink in with your snowshoes, so you need at least one person breaking trail with crampons to lead the way. So that's kind of one of the lessons I learned when we did that Israel Ridge trip. Mm-hmm. And just for the listeners that are looking for a little more SAR content, um, we talked about this with Ty Gagney, but during that last traverse, for instance, what, what search and rescue teams will do, some teams will go up in deeper snow just to tamp down the snow in preparation for the more advanced teams to show up and, and get to the summit or the ridge, you know, the classic example when they were trying to get up um, on Franconia Ridge. So Pemi was breaking trail, um, fishing game officers were breaking trail, and then later MRS and some of the other teams showed up. So that's a strategy that we'll use, like Mike was talking about, just breaking that trail down for easier access. Yeah, yeah. And typically, I think I've read, I think, I, and some listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the lion's head route is broken out strictly with crampons. They don't even use snowshoes because it's just too too steep up there. But um, oh, you yeah. want to make sure that if you're going to be in steep environments, have your snowshoes, but sometimes you got to bail on them and just switch over to crampons or at least have one person in crampons that can start, oh, start the way for you. Yeah, they can become a safety hazard in <laughs> some steeper... Rocky terrain. 
Yeah, exactly. And speaking of safety hazard, we're going to talk about butt sledding in a minute. But anything else on snowshoes before we move on to the uh, the butt sledding? I, th- I think I have one very niche um, instance where you don't switch braking trail. That's when you're hiking with Steve Mason. Yeah. Because <laughs> that beast just breaks trail the whole way. <laughs> yep. I could see that. That's it's an easy ride for everybody else in the group. That's the exception, yeah. yeah. And he loves it. He's like, give it, <laughs> give it to me. You know? Oh my god, wouldn't have it any other exactly, way. Exactly, yeah. Oh god. Well, that's the thing too is that the the people that are local or the the frequent hikers, like nine times out of ten, when there's a big storm, like the next day or that day, you've got a lot. All the locals are going out and breaking. Like the chance of you having to break trail on like Crawford Path is almost slim to none. Like there's always locals out there breaking out those those trails. So it's the it's the trails like Israel Ridge that like no one goes up that you can have a fun time on, but you just need to be prepared and. Um, you know, I like the rotation process, but if you can find a Steve Mason or like, I know if I went with my wife, I'd have to break trail the whole way. So, or if you went with me, <laughs> if I went with, oh, matter of fact, that's true. Stop. I had to do that. Remember? Yeah, when man. You did Mount Parker. You made me break trail the whole way. <laughs> Dude, that was like the worst. I was just gassed out from the get-go. Like, literally. Well, it was that the was, worst. So, Steve, we I took him out Mount Parker, <laughs> and we had no view, and I was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. But it was a fun day, but um, Stomp was a trooper. But I think that was when his hip was really starting to throw on him, and yeah. he was just too proud to admit that he was just getting old and needed a hip replacement. <laughs> God, that was... Hey, a- gotta have a bad day sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this dude broke it straight to the summit and then straight back and if anybody's done that trail it drops oh, down yeah. to a call and then you have to go up another couple hundred feet oh, yeah. so that's when mike was like who starting to fade out a little bit that was a hard day it was snowing and wow yeah there was nobody that's another good hike if you want to go and break trail and not see anybody mount parker no one's going up <laughs> the no kidding slasher's hiking topic of the week all right, so uh, butt sledding. So um, I need to start this discussion off with my friend, my friend Jonathan, who foolishly convinced me to go up Israel Ridge. I just have to speak on his behalf because he's the guy that got me into winter hiking. He absolutely hates butt sledding because, and it, it does make sense. Like it ruins the, it makes the trail so friggin' dangerous because you're like basically like just making like an ice luge of the the trail so stomp that's what i Steven, noticed you guys need to defend butt sledding on john on, and i'm i'm talking on jonathan's behalf yeah all right sure i'll i'll defend it but i i agree with you about that because i noticed that when i went up jennings uh, a couple weeks ago it was a it like just like you said just glare ice wherever the butt sledders are sledding so man but that being said i love it man it's the quickest way down the mountain <laughs> <laughs> People are allowed to have fun, right? That's all there is to it. Gets you to it gets you to reckless a little quicker than you may have. <laughs> yeah, man, it's yeah, hike your own hike, I guess. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, it's funny. I've done it. I it's fun. It's a little bit risky depending on where you mm-hmm. are. Like I have fond memories of butt sledding, and I call myself a purist because I don't use a sled. I just sit on my butt, like the old good old fashioned way. Yeah. And uh, take all the bumps and bruises as they come. And uh, like Liberty mm-hmm. Springs Trail comes to mind. Holy moly, my wife and I had so much fun coming down that. There was one time she and I actually um, 
did uh, that. What's that tram line? Oh, DJ's tram at Cannon. We. My wife is crazy. You think I'm nuts sometimes. This this gal's crazy. We we bushwhacked up in the winter. DJ's tram, and then from there we went over to the trail system, and butt sledded down straight down avalanche like the steepest trail on that mountain and you pick up speed man you're on your butt and you're doing like 40 miles an hour it's incredible the snow blasting up in your face you're blind it's oh it's crazy talk about like a, an a injury waiting to happen though i mean that's why it was sort of safe on canon not not that i'm encouraging anybody to do this but uh yeah so you can, it has its uh, pluses and minuses. You can get seriously effed up, especially if you're on like a narrow trail like Liberty mm-hmm. Springs. You hit a tree, bam. You're going to be seeing search and rescue, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I can defend it now that I have ranted on. <laughs> the only defense is people allowed to have fun. So Yeah, I guess I mean, so. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> From a search and rescue perspective, I guess you'd have to say, like, it does add an element of risk. You so, think? <laughs> I guess. Oh, God. It's too funny. Have you have you had any experiences butt sledding, Steve? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think most of the times when, I, when I'll decide to go butt sledding is when I've already fallen and decided, well, at this point, it's steep enough. I've already taken a slip. I'm just going to go down on my butt. That seems to be... I don't know, maybe this, I don't know about the safest way, but oh, sometimes, like said, yeah. definitely the fastest way. Well, sometimes it can be yeah. safety, like just a, a, a ledge or whatever. You have to sit down mm-hmm. sometimes if there's no reasonable alternative to bushwhack around the side of a, a obstacle. I, I get that, yeah. Right, but I'm, but I'm right there with you. I, if I'm going to be butt sled, it's definitely not going to be with a sled. Mm-hmm. Um, you see some people out just, just want any excuse to use a butt sled. I was on Star King last weekend and saw people hiking up with butt sleds. There's not a whole lot of butt sledding on Star King. Wouldn't plastic exacerbate the risk of injury just in terms of speed? Yes. I would assume it would be faster. Oh, you'd go way faster. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. Too funny. Well, so so that being said, um, we recommend the following butt sleds. <laughs> if you're going to do it. You I'll might, add these to the show. You're going to put an ex- a disclaimer in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did some research and I found uh, this flexible flyer snow s- seat. There's a snow sled board, and then there's a little bit larger one called Sport Stuff Rocket. I'm sure there are others out there, but do your research if you're interested in getting a butt sled and going much faster and really getting injured. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, so I generally recommend um, if you are going to butt sled, like I feel like it's worth it to get one of those just cheap. You know, they're either little shovels. Typically, they're like a little, a little butt shovel that like has a little like oh, plastic yeah. bendable dual purpose. Um, it's got yeah, it's like a. Um, it almost looks like a the uh, a toilet seat cover, but it's it's thin and it's got like a little handle that you can hold on to in the front through your legs. Um, and that's typically what I would carry because it weighs nothing, and you can just sort of strap it onto your backpack and then have it um, when you go down. And when people think of butt sledding, I think you just need to get it out of your head that you're going to be going down like when we were kids, you would go down a hill and you do whatever, a two, three minute slide, and then you'd run back up the hill. Like this is basically like you got to pick your moment. So it's a lot of like the last time I did it, like I remember waking up the next morning and I was like, I felt like I had done like 50 million sit ups because you're getting up. 
and you're you're getting up and you've got a 20 pound backpack on your back too and then you're like sliding down and then you're you know you're getting back up and then sitting down getting back up and you do that like 20 different times because you're only doing like short sections of the trail um but i will say probably my best my most enjoyable memory butt sledding in the whites and i've done it a few times is we carried we did a hike up on mount madison stop you were with us when we did that with casey and um Ed and Danielle, and, um, Nick, I think, and we saw Danielle and Corey Hempel and that whole crew there. Yeah, Matt, Do you remember that? Matt Scaney, I mean, the whole whole crew of people. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Ed had had some butt sled, so I took one and we went down. We sled, we butt sled. That was a matter of fact where I saw Oscar the dog, the Basset Hound. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that day. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we saw Oscar. But there's a section of Valley Way where I'm not lying. Like you will butt sled. It's like sort of at a perfect angle. And the other thing about butt sledding is you want to wait until there's a good snowpack and the trail is broken and it keeps you in the trail like a luge. On Valley Way, there's a section where you can go. I think we almost went, we must have gone like four minutes straight just going down. And it was probably like over a half a mile Mm -hmm. of sledding on Valley Way that we went down, which was amazing. Um, So that was probably the most enjoyable that I've done. But get yourself a cheap, you know, they usually come in three packs. Get yourself a cheap one. It's almost the size of like a trash cover or whatever. And um, you just throw it on your backpack and you can use it whenever you want. Excellent. It makes the trail like so icy and dangerous though. It does. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And please don't try to do like a gully or anything stupid like that or tucks. Um, Has anybody anybody butt sledded tucks? I'm sure somebody's done it. Not purposely. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness crazy I have, yeah i'm sure i have seen videos of people that have gone down that ski trail the sherburn mm-hmm. in one one continuous video yeah. they've gone from the the uh, hermit lake all the way down the the ski trail wow in a continuous video that's cool on a butt sled on a butt sled yeah holy moly yeah yeah it was like 10 minutes long or something i don't even know how long i'll try to find a video and post it okay well, there we go. We covered butt sledding. We're breaking new ground here. This is great. Yeah. So a couple of other things: safety safety notices stop. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you're wearing true crampons, I would oh, not yes. recommend butt sledding. True. Uh, micro spikes only. Yeah. Um, and just be aware with the micro spikes because then you'll be cartwheeling down the hill. Yeah, yeah. And also just be aware with the micro spikes, do not like dig your heels in too deeply because you'll catch and you'll go ass over um, tea kettle, I guess is the saying. So you got to be careful. Um, the other thing is that, you know, those snowshoes we talked about, Steve, how you have them mounted on, over your brain? Yeah. That, that's not going to help wow. you butt sledding. Like the, the, uh, the way, if you have them mounted off the side, you can kind of lean back and have the snowshoes act as a break for you too. Oh, smart. Yeah. Wow. Epic. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. So um, that's butt sledding for you folks. Send us some videos of butt sleds. We want to see them. Instead of cat videos and cat pictures, let's move on to butt sledding. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Please. Let's dive into some White Mountains history. Shall we? All right. So now we're going to move on to 
segment three here, Stomp. So you wanted to do something on Flume? Yeah, let's do Flume Gorge. I just wanted to touch upon it briefly. It's one of my favorite places, and um, I think a lot of us know about it, but I thought it might be nice to dig into it a little bit. Flume Gorge, uh, not, not Flume the mountain, but Flume Gorge, which is in the southern end of Franconia Notch. If you haven't been there, you should check it out. It's open year-round. Uh, you, you know, you're paying for a ticket during the summer months. I believe it runs from May to October 20th. Uh, but it's open year-round, so if you want to get in there in the winter, it's an amazing place to check out. The gorge itself is 800 feet long with cliffs that are about 70 to 90 feet high, made of what they call Conway granite. The, the canals themselves are like 12 to 20 feet wide. It was discovered in 1808 by a 93-year-old Aunt Jess Guesney. I, I believe that's the way you pronounce her name. And uh, she was out there fishing. And can you believe that? She's out there at 93 years old in the 1800s, just, I don't know, fly fishing or whatever. And she discovers this amazing site. How does someone get to be 93 years old back then? I... Like, how do you live without your appendix bursting and dying? Like, having, like, a toothache that turns into, like, an abscess and dying? Like, how do you avoid all that shit when you're that age? It's you incredible. Know, back, in, back in those days. It's that good country yeah. living, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, she wasn't drinking reckless back then, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> she was probably drinking that stuff from that guy up in Crawford Notch. What was that guy's name again? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. English Jack. Hermit Jack. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, her family didn't believe her, so she eventually dragged her family up. And um, at the time, there was this massive 10-foot by 12-foot rock that was stuck maybe like 20 feet up between the two cliff walls. Just an amazing thing. So 1808, apparently, I mean, <clears throat> this is this is deep stuff beyond me, but it's like 200 million years old. It uh, dates back to the Jurassic period, and uh, there's a process for this granite, this Conway granite. Apparently, it was deeply buried molten rock, and um, it cooled, and then these dikes of basalt formed that pressed up against the granite, forcing the granite to actually smooth out. It was buried over during the Ice Age, and then as the Ice Age receded and the glaciers receded, it formed all these glacial erratics, and that boulder that was stuck, apparently, uh, between the two cliff walls was one of those erratics. It's two miles in length. Following COVID, I guess what they've done is they've made it a, a one-direction loop, so they closed off a couple trails. Here are some of the places you can check out. There's Avalanche Falls. It's a 45-foot-tall waterfall. That was formed back in 1883. Now, this this ties back to that hike I did with uh, Jimmy Chaga. So, apparently, in 1883, there was a massive storm, and it caused that slide off of uh, Mount Liberty that Jimmy and I bushwhacked. So, that's when, apparently, that boulder came down into the uh, canal of the cliffs. Hmm. And, yeah, that storm itself actually pushed that boulder out. It was so fierce that it just got washed out and has disappeared. Nobody knows where that rock went. <laughs> after you walk through the main entryway, after you get your ticket and all that stuff during the warmer months, there's an, a beautiful Sentinel Pine Bridge, they call it. And it was built in 1886 and uh, apparently was restored several times because of weather and this and that. It overlooks a beautiful pond, which is... 40 feet deep, 
150-foot diameter with 130-foot high cliffs on either side. Have you guys been there? I've been there... A long time ago? A few times with the kids. With the kids, yeah, it was awesome. I remember going and having a blast. It's incredible, man. It really is. They call this Sentinel Pine Bridge Kissing Bridge because the way it's built with the uh, the wooden columns and whatnot, there are a lot of like <laughs> shadowy alcoves where you could kiss your, your lover and everything else. Uh, there's also Table Rock, which is the section of Conway Granite, which is pet be- just beyond that bridge. And that's 500 foot length by 70 feet wide. Um, another beautiful just section of Conway Granite. There's Bears Cave. There's a Cascade Brook Falls. Yeah, it's a cool. It's a cool place, and um, it's one of those places that I recommend, especially if you like want to get your kids interested in hiking. Like I yeah. think we did the Flume Gorge. We did, you know, and you got to pay a little bit. I think for these, it's a, like in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's like eighteen bucks attraction or whatever. Yeah, but it's it's worth it. Um, the Polar Caves is another one that's up up uh, a little farther south. But yeah, all those activities are like amazing for the kids to do. And it really like they never get tired on these ones because there's so much sort of climbing around on stairs and so much to see that there's no no risk of them being bored. All right. Well, next segment here. So I want to do one more. So we'll skip search and rescue and I'll hold off on the history stuff. But I wanted to just close out with a discussion on winter hiking on Mount Washington. So I get this question a lot from people about, um, you know, what's the best route to take in the winter for uh, hiking Mount Washington. So my answer to this, and I don't know if you guys have a different opinion, but I always say, I always recommend going up Yamanusik um, and then taking the, you know, you, you stop at Lake of the Clouds, you can go to Mount uh, Monroe if you want to tag that and then head up to, I think it's the Davis Path, um, to the top of Mount Washington and then pick it whether you want to go down the Jewel Trail or the Cog. So I want to talk a little bit about this this route, unless you guys disagree with me and feel like there's another route that's that's a better option for people to hike in the winter. I, I think the caveat is, you know, the, Amanusik Trail can have some serious, serious ice, and if you don't have the right mm-hmm. traction, you're you're effed. I mean, you you're going to be forced to go towards Jewel, and if you run into bad weather, it sort of puts you in a pickle. So that's my one caveat: make sure you have good weather, make sure you have the right traction, because going counterclockwise, you're committed at some portions of the year. Yeah, and that is the tricky part. Is you're right. That's a fair caveat. Is that. I think if it's been snowing or the weather has not been too extreme, I think you're fine going up Amanusik. I'd say like 85% of the time, you're going to be fine on Amanusik. If it's broken out, you can get away with like sort of kick-stepping in with um, microspikes or if you've got your crampons, you switch over to crampons. But I almost I would recommend on this hike that you're gonna have the one drawback is you're probably gonna have to bring all three with you is crampons, mm-hmm. micro spikes, and snowshoes just because you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, and the snowshoes a lot of time are like a waste, but you should bring them with you just because you might run into some serious drifts as you approach Lake of the Clouds. But you, the other drawback is that. Sometimes, if especially if it hasn't been snowing up there, like that section between the sort of the West Side Trail Junction as you go up, Davis, that can get super bony and like icy. And mm-hmm. I remember we had, 
oh god i'm gonna forget her name the when we had the hiking buddies on we had ben and um i forget her name now i apologize she was the one that told us that story about how she had gone up and as she was her friend was climbing up the davis path towards mount washington they had gotten into an extreme ice situation and it let loose and she didn't have she didn't have an ice axe or anything with her and you know she she got really really spooked out and almost went for a ride down the Amanusic ravine. So hmm. you do kind of have to bring all three. But for me, pick your weather, make sure the weather conditions are good. It's not too cold. And just if it's been like rainy or like icy conditions, then maybe it's a second, maybe take a second look at it. But overall, like if it's been snowing out and the conditions have been okay, then I think going up Amanusic's okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I could be wrong about this, but I think it's the only like modest loop on that mountain if you think about it i mean i've done it you know i've done different loops say you know go up glen boulder and then down auto road or something like that but ammo to jewel is is really it's like what you know you don't have the car spot it's a loop um, i can't think of any other yeah. modest mm-hmm. options in the, especially in the winter, yeah. I just get I, I get nervous about going on the Pinkham Knot side in the winter because even if you go up Bootspur, like I was reading the other day, like a lot of times that's not broken out. Um, yeah. Although I do know I've read Mike Cherum has talked about like a red line guiding that they do recommend going up that way. So maybe you get lucky and it is broken out. But otherwise, like then you got to go up Lion's Head. That's more mountain. That's a more of a mountaineering ascent. Yeah. Um, Nelson Crag's not going to get anything. You can go up Glen Boulder, but no one's going to be going that well, way. Well, that could be an out, out and back. I mean, that would be my second option. Yeah. If you don't want to pull off the loop and the weather's sort of iffy, just do an out and back. Grab one of the other peaks or something. Yeah. Jefferson, Pierce. Yeah, exactly. But I think if you do your research, it's a good day. Mm-hmm. Go up Amanusik. Be prepared to bring all three devices with you. You can probably get away with micro spikes and snowshoes on most days, but like Stomp, you're right. There's a couple of sections of Amanusik where you really got to kick step in hard with micro spikes and sort of you don't have a lot of play right. to to mess around. There's there's like two or three sections right below that like water crossing before you get above tree line that are really steep and get crazy. And, and I've seen I see people carrying ice axes. I never brought an axe with me, but so I don't really know. I mean, I suppose you you could use one, but I've never used it. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like if you get to um, Lake of the Clouds and all of a sudden the weather goes south, I and you don't have the right gear to get down that trail, man. It's yeah, not a good situation. Yeah, yeah, it is a little risky. So hopefully, I don't get anyone killed with this. But um, the other thing is, is like when you do get to Lake of the Clouds, the nice thing is, is you do get a little bit of a. Um, you know, you, you can you can hang out there. There's some nice pictures um, in that particular area, and you can reassess. I mean, the other bailout option that you have is if you really get in trouble, you could try to make your way down the Edmonds path, I suppose. But anyway, so up Amanusik, I recommend the other thing about this route is that it gives you the option. You get two options. You can either park at the Cog or you can park at the Amanusik Ravine. I personally, I'm going to get shit for this, and I'm sure people, the, the purists are going to yell at me, but I recommend you park at the COG, and two reasons. One is it's a little bit shorter, and every quarter mile counts, and then the other thing is is that, and I don't know if this is true now with COVID or not, but they let you inside the building in the morning, so if you want to gear up, go inside the COG, and you can get geared up nice and warm. You can use the bathroom. 
you can get coffee or, or hot chocolate or whatever you want, and then you just head up on your way. So you're supporting the cog a little bit, and then you're saving a little bit of distance. Gotcha. But in the summer, you can't park at the cog, right? Because there's a specific. You can now for ten bucks per person. Oh, okay. Year round, not per car, per person. <laughs> ten per person. So, so, and I know people have a mixed. They have a mixed opinion about the cog, but I always give them a pass because I feel like they do step up. Like if there is a rescue that needs to happen, like they do tend to like step up when they need when they they need the help. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't knock the cog ever, sure. even though I know yeah. people have issues with them. Yeah. Nice. All right. Hey, this yeah, is so a anyways. hell of an episode. We covered a lot of ground. Yes, this we is, did. I'm not done yet. This is so. our fastest known time for an episode with so many topics. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not done oh, talking about the, the loop here. <laughs> I was trying to cut it cut it short here. All right, go ahead, Mike. Are you getting bored? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so on this route here, a couple of other things that like, the, one, the other thing you need to think about here is that you do have a bailout option if you get to Lake of the Clouds and then you're making your way up Mount Washington and you've got someone that's bonking on you, you can bail out on the West Side Trail. So you, you get to that, that's, that section where the West Side Trail Junction happens. You can just basically skirt around the top of the Amanusik Ravine. That'll loop you around to the cog. And then from there, you can hop over the Cog Railroad and get to Jewel Trail, or go down the you cog. can go right down the Cog. Yeah. So that's the other question is like, do either one of you guys have an opinion on do you prefer to go down the Cog or do you prefer to go down the Jewel Trail? Boy, that's a bad I've choice. Only been, I've only been down the Cog in like springtime where there's snow up top and then it turns to dirt. But, um, you know, I think if the situation calls for it, like you said, Mike, if you got someone who's in trouble, that's definitely the fastest way off the mountain. Yeah, I've yeah, not done the cog, is. so I really can't speak to it. But I do know that there's that one section near Jacob's Ladder that can dip you right into a, a gully. Uh, mm-hmm. That's sketchy a dangerous section. It, yeah, yeah, it's super sketchy. And right. one of the biggest risks that I ever took probably out hiking was going across that section. So I've done it like four times. And I've gone down the cog every time. And three out of the four times I had, I was wearing, I think I was wearing snowshoes or micro spikes or whatever. And I I was okay. And there was enough snow there where I was able to bite and go across that section. I think it's near Jacob's Ladder. And it's basically this section where if you go, you're going down in the ravine. Matter of fact, that happened um, to a a hiker that's a very experienced hiker a couple of years ago. And it's scary as hell. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember I went with my brother and my sister-in-law, and I went right across that in my microspikes, and my sister-in-law picked it up right away, and she was like, this is sketchy as hell. And I was like, we didn't have crampons with us, and I just told her, I was like, I was like, Marissa, just go. It's no big deal. Like, I downplayed the risk there, which I probably shouldn't have, but it took her a while to get to get across it. So there is that one section, but after that, it's pretty much like going, you know, you can go straight straight down and it's a, it's a quick hit but if you're really freaked out by risks then you're better off doing the longer hike down the jewel trail or the jewel trail whatever you want to call it yeah yep and um lately i don't know if you guys know eric todd sweet but he can carry you up and down he does that trail every other day the cock mm-hmm. <laughs> he's been on a tear on that thing, there a lot. cranking it out yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
And it seems like every every week he's out there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could get out more. Gotta yeah, when's your next uh, hike, Mike? Uh, I'm going to get out this weekend. I'm getting out. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about doing this route we were just talking about on Mount Washington. Okay. I'm going to try to get out tomorrow. It's supposed to be like an inch of snow, but I'm going to do this little bushwhack to the to the west of Welch Dickey. I've done it before. It's Fisher Mountain. So I'm going to try to go park at the Welch Dickey parking lot and take Dickey uh, Notch by, I forget the name of the trail, but it's like a bike path. Um and then bushwhack straight up to Fisher and then back. So, the, like, it's three miles one direction. So, it's it's pretty modest. But wish me luck. Hopefully, I'll get off my couch. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about was uh, Mount Cube. Maybe going up the, um, I forget the name of that, that trail. It's, like, based on The Hobbit. I forget what it's called. Hmm. Not sure. So, we'll see. I'm going to get out this weekend, though. I, I've been itching. All right. Awesome. Well, Steve, thanks for uh, coming out and uh, give our best to everybody at Reckless. And uh, we'll have you back again. And um, Mike, feel better getting over your Rona. Yeah, hopefully I wasn't too like low energy tonight. I just like, <laughs> it, it is hard. Like, don't get Corona, people. Do not get COVID. No, you were pretty much the same as usual. Just low energy the whole time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hope, hope you have a good recovery, Mike. Thank you guys so much for having me on. You bet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, we got to get together. We'll have some beers at, at Reckless and uh, get out there and do some hiking soon. We'll figure it out. Yeah, it sounds great. I'd love that. Awesome. Till next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.